Welcome to the Hills. We have a large listening community. People in person at West Fort Worth, South Lake, and North Richland Hills campus. People watching online. And what we're doing today is we're concluding a short series where we've been talking about learning to exercise hard faith. And by that I mean the kind of faith that is hard to come by. And the only kind of faith that will sustain you when hard times come by. And we found a friend in the Old Testament named Habakkuk, a short book he wrote as he models what it looks like to pursue hard faith. He lived in a hard time with the imminent destruction of his nation. And we've seen him express why faith. And we saw him last week talk about how long faith. And we're going to close today talking about one more kind of hard faith that we really need to learn to exercise. Now, when he's talking about why faith and how long faith, what we saw was Habakkuk had immense confidence in the sovereignty of God. The Lord is in his holy temple and all the earth keeps silent before him. But you know that in Scripture, there is this very healthy tension between divine sovereignty and personal responsibility. Now, here's the truth. When we read the Bible, we don't really like tension. So we try to resolve it often by leaning too far one way or the other. And so people that tend to lean really far in the direction of divine sovereignty are sometimes uh, called Calvinist. And they can go really far, so far that they can say, God has already decided everything about you. You only think you make decisions. Even how long you live, frankly, he's already decided who gets saved. He has picked the elect, and you really have nothing to do with that. Now, people that lean in the other direction uh, land in a position that's been termed Arminianism, and they really lean into, we are free moral agents and our choices to decide our future. And I'm often asked, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? And my con answer is, I am a proud Calvinian. I really am. I don't try to erase the tension. I embrace the tension. I believe in the absolute sovereignty of God, and I believe inside that sovereignty, I make choices that affect my future. Now, when I say that, it tends to bother the Calvinists more than the Arminians. And so if that's where you are and you're one of my Calvinist friends, God bless you. Don't send me a link trying to change my mind. And here's why. Nobody lives as a functional Calvinist. Think about it. No matter how much you believe in the sovereignty of God, you do not live like your choices don't matter. Every parent knows this. You teach your children to look both ways before they cross the street, to put on a helmet before they ride their bike. You try to teach your children that it's good to learn to like vegetables and not just want candy all the time. And that's how I live. I believe my choices affect my future. If I was a true Calvinist and I believe my days were already decided by God, I would have pizza for breakfast, I would eat double cheeseburgers for lunch. I would have chicken fried steak for supper, and I would never work out. That's not what I do. I make choices every day. Just the other day, I ripped 
a hole in the knee of my favorite pair of jeans. I had to make a decision. Am I going to buy a new pair of jeans or am I going to become a worship leader? You see, you have to make choices. Okay. Now, admit it, that was kind of funny. Okay. So here's the thing. Habakkuk, who fully believed in the complete sovereignty of God, realized that because of that, he had to make choices that responded with what he said he believed. And so here's what he decided to do. He decided to become a worship leader. I mean, literally. Uh, When David set up the temple, he picked some of the prophets and put them in charge of the music ministry. I believe Habakkuk was probably one of those prophets. Why do I believe that? Look at the very last words of his book. They read like this. For the director of music on my string instruments. Habakkuk meant for his prophecy to be sung. In fact, in chapter 3, if you're reading from an older translation, off to the side three times, you'll find a little word, selah. S-E-L-A-H. What does Salem mean? We don't know. It was some kind of a music marker for Hebrew music. And the only other place in the Bible you find that word is in the book of Psalms. And so Habakkuk chose to take personal responsibility for his faith journey in light of the sovereignty of God. And he wrote a song. He wrote a song about his decision to exercise what we're calling even though faith. There's why faith, there's how long faith, but you need to learn some even though faith. So look at this song he wrote in chapter three. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. And then he goes on to have some verses that we'll come back to in a moment. But he finishes this song with one of the greatest praise choruses ever written. Starting in verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms... And there are no grapes on the vines. Even though the olive crop fails. And the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the fields. And the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer. Able to tread upon the heights, even though faith. You've all been to weddings, and there's usually a moment in the wedding where the officiant says to the couple, will you, in sickness or in health, richer or poor? Why do we think that's important? Because we know that the strongest and best way to express love is to pledge fidelity. That no matter what, I am with you. And I want to suggest we have little comprehension how much that kind of faith 
means to God. When we pledge our absolute fidelity to God. In fact, I believe God stakes his reputation on that kind of faith. There's a book in the Old Testament called Job, and it starts very strange. God is in heaven surrounded by his angels, and the accuser, the Satan, enters the throne room. And God says, where have you been? He says, to and fro on the earth. God says, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless, righteous, and faithful. And the Satan says, well, yeah, because you're a cosmic vending machine. And Job knows how to play the game and pull the levers, and you give him all the candy he wants. That's the only way and reason he's faithful to you. Now, I happen to believe the book of Job is real, but no matter how you read it, we have it in our Bible because we need to know the enemy is going to try to plant the same lie in our heads he planted in the head of Job. And here's the lie, that God is unworthy of love in himself. God is only worthy of your fidelity if he gives you the life you want. And the greatest challenge of hard faith is to trust God when there does not seem to be any immediate benefit for doing so. So how do you know if you love God? For who he is. Or if you just love God for what he does. And you'll love God as long as he keeps doing it. See, the only way to know is to see how you respond when you are in a place where life isn't going the way you want and you can't fix it. And it doesn't feel like God is either. We've said all through this series, you need a faith that will sustain you when you're between the rock and a hard place. And can I say again, the people that have had the greatest Spiritual impact on my life are these kind of people. The kind of people that I watch stay loyal and faithful to God when in the moment there didn't seem to be any good reason for them to do it. They exercised why faith. The kind of faith that lives between who God is and how things are. And they exercised how long faith. The kind of faith that lives between how things are and how things will be. And they did so because of their confidence in the sovereignty of God. And because of that confidence, they made a commitment. They made a choice. They made a decision that they're going to stay loyal to God because of who he is. And not just because of what he does. And so they exercised even though. And even though faith lives between how things are and how we're going to respond. Even though the cancer has come back. Even though my child has still not come back. Even though I was hurt again. Even though the answer was no again. 
even though it may not change. It will not change my decision to rejoice in the Lord. Even though faith does not tell God, I will love you if, but it says, I will love you even if. And we have little comprehension how much that kind of faith means to God. So our church supports many missionary families around the world. One of those families is the Kent Brantley family. Kent and Amber and their two children are currently in Zambia, where he is a medical doctor and works there at a mission hospital. But many of you know Kent Brantley for another reason. Some years ago, he was in Liberia at another medical mission point when the Ebola virus broke out and Kent contracted it, treating patients with the disease. And at that time, to contract the Ebola virus was basically to receive a death sentence. One of his co-workers, an older single woman named Nancy, also contracted the virus. They sent an experimental serum. There was just one dose. And Kent, young husband and father, insisted that Nancy get it. And so there is Kent laying in bed, too sick to move, facing what would appear to be his imminent death. And he called one of his spiritual mentors when he attended Abilene Christian University. And the mentor asked Kent how he was doing spiritually. And Kent said, I've been thinking a lot about the book of Daniel. There in chapter 3, when the three young Hebrew men were told to bow down and worship the king, and they refused to do so. And the king said, if you do not bow down, I will throw you into a fiery furnace. And they replied, you can do that. But we will not bow. And then they said, we believe our God can rescue us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. And Kent told his mentor, and that's where I find myself. I believe God can save me. But even if he doesn't. I want to finish faithfully, even though faith. See, life is hard, but faith can be, must be harder. And so I want to close by giving you some suggestions on how you can develop and exercise greater even though faith. And the first thing we can learn from Habakkuk is that it is sustained by worship. Habakkuk is writing this song to help other people who are trying to grow harder faith. And so he intentionally gives them some worship music because people with hard faith are very intentional about their playlist. They know that what you hear and what you listen to affects your soul. David, who spent 
Much of his life in hard places said in one of his psalms, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David says, what my soul right now needs, because it is downcast, it needs some praise. I'm going to choose in this moment to worship God. And by the way, here is what I have learned about people who can worship God in a crisis. They were the people that had the consistent habit of worshiping God before the crisis. So over 30 years ago, there was this story you may remember. These three whales that got trapped under the ice near Point Barrow, Alaska. And whales are mammals. They need air to breathe. And it was five miles to open sea. And so what people did is they started cutting holes in the six-inch thick ice so that the whales could come up. And they were coaxing the whales to the next hole and to the next hole. Along the way, one of the whales disappeared and presumably died. But two of the whales made it. Now, allow me to use that as a metaphor for life. Life is hard. And I need to come up for air. I need to come up and be in the presence of my God. I need time with him, time to let him know that I believe in him. Like Habakkuk, I need to decide I'm going to be a worship leader. I'm going to lead my soul in worship. And when I do that, I get a glimpse of God that is bigger than my questions. And it restores me. And it also restores me. And the second thing Habakkuk can teach us about even though faith is that it remembers the story of God. See, hard faith will draw on its long-term memories of God. It will step into the future with the knowledge of what God has done in the past. Look again at how his song started. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And then he goes and writes the verses to the song. Now, if you read them, they might be confusing to you because he, like a lot of artists, uses very musical, very imaginative language. What he's doing, though, and a Hebrew would have picked up on this, is he's retelling the story of the Exodus, the greatest delivered story in their history. He uses phrases and he uses places that every Hebrew would have recognized. And so metaphorically and beautifully, like an artist, he reminds them that our God is a God who rescues. He takes them back to their story of when God delivered them. Now, let me be very clear in the same way. When I think about how hard life is and when I think about how uncertain the future is, I don't find hope in a principle. I don't find hope in a myth. I don't find hope in a precept. I find hope in a fact. I find hope in an event, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what gives me hope. I look back at what God has done, and I remember my story is the story of a God who delivers because even death has to do what my God tells it to do. And so Paul could write, 
What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? See what he's doing? Do you remember what God did for you? Remember your story. Go back into the past and look at what God actually accomplished in history and face the future with that knowledge. And he finishes by saying at the end of that chapter, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I know a lot of you listening to me at every campus and online, you come from different faith traditions. And if you've been at the hills very long, you'll notice that every single week we take some bread and we take a cup and we practice the observing of the Lord's Supper. Why do we do that so often? Because we know how hard life is and we need regularly to remember our story. That the death and the resurrection of Jesus are the foundation by which we build our lives. Some of you are old enough to remember the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was probably the best known political dissident in the former Soviet Union. He was actually born into a believing family. His parents were devout Russian Orthodox Christians. But as a young man, he deserted the faith, became an atheist and a Marxist. He served as a captain in the Red Army in World War II. But he noticed how cruelly Joseph Stalin was treating his own people. And in a private letter, he said something about that to a friend. Well, in those days, there's no such thing as a private letter. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn wound up in a labor camp for eight horrible years. And it was there in that hard place that he rediscovered his Christian faith. Because atheism and Marxism had no hope or word for him in that moment. And he tells a story in his most famous book. It was a hot day. And they gave him a meaningless task of shoveling sand just to break his spirit, and it was working. He wrote, physically and emotionally, I was done. And I threw my shovel on the ground. Knowing full well, a guard would probably come up and start to beat me. And then there was an old man in camp, another believer, who came up on his cane. And he drew in the sand the shape of a cross. And then he erased it before the guard could see it. And so Zanitsyn wrote, I don't know how to explain this, but in that moment when I saw that cross, strength and joy and hope filled my soul because he remembered the story of God. And so when you can't see God in the present, Recall what he's done in the past. Remember that even though you were a sinner, God made a choice. And he chose you. And he sent Jesus to the cross for you. And when you remember that, you can make a choice. And even though choice too. Because even though faith chooses no matter what, joy. Habakkuk said, even though when the Babylonians come and destroy this land, everything else 
might be gone, my joy will remain. Babylon may conquer everything else, but it will not conquer me. He says in verse 18, even though, even though, even though, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. And here's where hard faith finally brought this man of God to the place where he could say, I don't have to understand completely to rejoice consistently. That's because his praise was tied to who God is, not just to what God does. Even though faith says God is worthy of my love in himself. By the way, doesn't that sound like another preacher in a hard place? Remember Paul, he's in prison writing to the Philippian church and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And the only way you can rejoice always is if it's in the Lord because anything else you try to rejoice in can change. And that's the problem some of you are having. You've made joy a destination. Or when I get there or when this happens or when they stop that, then, no, joy is not a destination. Joy is a determination that is based on the character of God. And that's why Paul could write, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So here's the difference between easy faith and hard faith. Easy faith can be thankful for circumstances, but hard faith will be thankful in circumstances. Even those, even though, circumstances. And the people who have had the greatest impact in my life are the people who had the hardest faith. I've thought a lot recently about one of those people. One of the dearest friends I ever had, his name was Brent Barrow. A lot of you remember Brent. He was a former elder in our church. And Brent battled the last 12, 13 years of his life with brain cancer. And I had the privilege, along with our wives, of being with Brent on a trip out of state just two weeks before he died. And I could watch with my own eyes the death begin to take over. I can remember walking down the street with Brent, and I, I would put myself between him and the road because his body would start to lean, and I, I could keep him from going into incoming traffic. I literally watched him decline. That's not what I remember. What I remember about my dear friend is that every single day, several times a day, when he could hardly say anything, he would look at me and smile and say, Rev! God is good. God is so good. And I watched what even though faith looks like. And I've decided I'm going to do a better job 
looking for people like that in my life. And so as this series concludes, I've got two assignments for you. I'm going to give you some homework. I don't care if you don't go to my church. If you're listening right now, you're in my classroom. You get homework. (laughs) And here's the first assignment. I want you to thank somebody this next week that's modeled hard faith for you. You can send them a text. You can write them a note. You can give them a call. You can just walk up and hug them, buy them lunch. Here's what can happen. We can see people who have borne with grace their trial for so long that we might assume it's now easy for them. Well, well, she's just been single for so many years now. He's had that cancer for so long. They've raised that special needs child all these years. She struggled with mental health. And we know people. And they live with such grace as they bear their burdens that you might think, I guess it's not hard anymore. Wrong! Every day they make a decision. Every day they declare their fidelity again. Every day they have to say, today the sovereign Lord will be my strength. And he will make me able, like a deer, to walk up on the hard and high places. And so, this next week, that's your homework. You let one of those sweet, dear people know the way you have practiced hard faith is a blessing to me. And in second, like Habakkuk, we're going to bring some praise to God today. Remember two weeks ago, I asked you to put on a post-it note your loss and your grief and present it to the Lord, just like Habakkuk did. But that's not the only thing Habakkuk did. The last thing he did was he brought his praise to the Lord. And we're going to do the same thing. What's something you can thank God for even though? What's something you can rejoice in the Lord for right now? Even though the thing that you lost or grieve is still a part of your life. Even though you have a moment to declare, I love God for who he is. So get your post-it note out right now, every one of you. I'm going to give you a moment. I want you to write down. Right now, in this moment, this is something I rejoice in the Lord for. This is something I thank God for. In a moment after I pray, we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to release you at every campus. And if you're online, you can put it in the chat room. But I want you to come up to that same wall you went to two weeks ago. And I want you to put over your loss your thanksgiving as a way of declaring God even though you are worthy of my love and my fidelity so let me ask you now every campus would you stand up I'm going to pray and then we are going to come and we are going to exercise some hard faith And we are going to let the enemy know we love God for who he is. So let me pray for us. Father, would you increase our faith? 
and to all the angels and to any other spiritual being that can listen to prayer, we are declaring in this moment, we love God, Amen. that God is good. He is good when times are good. He is good when times are hard. He is worthy of our love and our praise and our affection and our fidelity at all times. And so, God, receive from us these tangible, visible declarations that we love you, even though. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.